Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. I am so glad you are here this morning. Just a couple of announcements. First of all, uh, today there is a luncheon uh, Clark is putting on. And so if you want a free lunch, you have to have a student. And if you are, have a fifth grader going into the sixth grade, we want you to be there to learn about the student ministry. Or maybe you're new to the church, you have students, and you'd like to know more about the student ministry. You can join them over in the student center immediately following this service. So please make plans to be there. It's going to be great. We have a great student ministry here. And then also, if you're a guest today, we said it in our video, but most of y'all weren't in here in time for it. So if you're a guest today, uh, on the back of your worship guide, there is a connection card. If you'd be so kind as to turn that in at the connection center when the service is over, we have a gift we want to give you because we are stoked that you have given us your Sunday morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I am glad you are here. Now, we are in the book of James, but quite honestly, we're not going to spend much time in the book of James because we got to do a little work, a little homework. We got to build a foundation so we will even understand what James is going to talk about uh, in the last part of the third chapter. And so, James is an incredible guy. He's the half brother of Jesus. He's what we call our blue collar scholar. He's teaching us practical living for the Christian. You can read the whole Bible and you will not find a more practical book. It's why uh, we like reading it some of the time. Because what he tells us to do is hard, hard truth. And so the way James approaches this stuff is he gives us a series of tests that we ask ourselves to determine how well we're doing on our Christian journey. And he begins by saying, have you made Jesus the Lord and Master and King of your life. In other words, are you a slave and a bondservant to Jesus? That's the foundation. That's the primary reality you have to find yourself in if any of the rest of it's going to make any sense and if you are going to live a victorious Christian life. So he says, is, is Jesus your master? Are you his slave? And he says, now if you, if you have allowed yourself to become a bondservant, a slave to Jesus, then the next thing, the next test, the next question is, are you finding joy in the tribulations that life brings when you are a Christian? Because we're all going to have tests, troubles, and tribulations. James says, are you finding joy? And so the first one we say, are we a slave? Eh, C minus. The second one, am I finding joy in my tribulation? It depends on which one. I'm going to give myself a C plus. And then he goes on, if that's not hard enough, and he says, okay, the third question, the third, the third easy for me to say, the third quiz is this, uh, are you finding victory in temptations? Well, maybe this week I had a good week, I'm going to give myself a B plus. Okay, but some weeks I don't do so good. Some weeks it seems like the temptations that plague me, I seem to fall victim to rather than being victorious over. And so then he goes on and he says, okay, now that we have those out of the way, let me ask you this. Is your faith on the inside starting to show up in your actions, in your work on the outside? Are you doing Christianity well? Are you living like Jesus wants you to live, which is like Jesus lived? And then he goes on to one of the most difficult ones, which we talked about for the last two weeks, and I'll call it tongue management. Uh, do you have that little muscle inside your mouth under control or is it controlling your life? We looked at that for two weeks because that's a biggie. It's, it's, it's a monster that needs to be tamed. Now, maybe so far when you take the quiz, you come out and you feel, okay, I feel pretty good about it. I'm feeling pretty good. Well, don't get comfortable because he never lets up. He's relentless. Now he's going to talk about something that I believe this message and the second part to it next week are the most important messages, the most applicable messages that have been preached from this spot, this pulpit. And how do I know that? Because I know every message that's been preached from this spot. I've preached most of them. Clark's chimed in, others. I know what's been preached. And this thing is powerfully important. And it is the subject of wisdom. Now, there's a lot of confusion when we talk about wisdom. There's a profound difference in these two words that we want to merge together, knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the application of information. Let me tell you what that looks like and what that feels like. We took our grandson, Major, 
to the steakhouse, the new steakhouse over here on Emory Road. Highly recommend. Had a, had a great time over there. Haley Rayfield works there. If you go there, tip her really big. And so and she'll give me a cut of that later for the advertisement. So let me tell you what the difference between knowledge and wisdom is. If you'll notice when I'm waving my hand around, I have a Band-Aid on this finger. Knowledge is this. Used to, when you went to the steakhouse, you could get as many peanuts as you want. You throw them in a bucket, throw your shells all over the place. Man, it's awesome. You just make a mess and go home, and somebody else will clean it up. It's job security for somebody. It's a win. Now, post-COVID, they put peanuts in a little bag. This little bag is probably 12 mils of plastic. It is a child-proof, adult-proof container. You cannot grab the sides and pull it apart. There's no little cut that cheats you. So you're either going to put this nasty bag in your mouth or knowledge says this bag is tamper-resistant. Knowledge says I have a steak knife. Wisdom says don't take a blunt-ended object and try to poke it through Stiff plastic with your fingers anywhere nearby. Wisdom evacuated the building. I'm holding this plastic adult-proof container and tried to stab, jab, shank a blunt-ended steak knife through that bag, which I accomplished. It went through the bag and it went through my finger and I almost cut the tip of my finger off. It's nasty, isn't it, Kendra? It's nasty. I've got it taped on, hoping it grows back, and I think it will. I pray over it every day. When I'm praying, it's right there before me. Okay, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Now, there have been some funny quotes regarding the idea of wisdom uh, through the ages, uh, but we really need to understand the difference between the two. Uh, Jack Hanley said this, don't criticize someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes, but the rest of it's even better because if you wait before criticizing You'll be a mile away, and you'll have their shoes. That went right over your head. That's wisdom. I mean, don't judge somebody till you walk in their shoes. That's cool. But when you think about the, the, the reality of that, you're a mile away, and you have their shoes, and there's no way they can get to you. And, and then I think of uh, George Carlin. George Carlin said this, don't sweat the petty things, and don't pet the sweaty things. There's some wisdom for you. I think about this one. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not serving your friends tomato cobbler with ice cream. And then I like this one. Tom Snyder, Tom Snyder, a reporter, said this. If we're not supposed to eat animals, why are they made out of meat? (laughs) Y'all are dry this morning or I'm terrible, one of the two. I'm going to go with the dryness of you all. Now, here's the thing. The title of the message is this, understanding wisdom. Now, those words just in and of themselves are biblical words that we need to have understanding and we need to have wisdom. But there is a chasm of difference when you merge those things together of understanding about understanding wisdom. We got to know what it is before we can ever begin to apply it to our lives. And so one way, one way that we learn what wisdom is, we can look it up in the dictionary. So I did a little research. This is what I found out wisdom is. In the uh, Psy- uh, Psychology Today magazine, this is what they say wisdom is. It says, it is the expert knowledge in the fundamental pragmatics of life that permits exceptional insight, judgment, and advice about complex and uncertain matters. That's pretty accurate, but it's a little lofty. So maybe we need something a little uh, better, a little more accurate, so we go to Wikipedia, because that's where the accurate information hangs out, right? This is what Wikipedia says about wisdom. It It says it is the ability to contemplate and act using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense or insight okay we can we can understand that one and then we look up look it up in the oxford english dictionary it says it is the capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct it is the soundness of judgment in the choice of means and ends now that's what it is that's what it is but it's still hard to make that tangible So another way we can understand more about the concept 
And the word wisdom is to consider, consider other words that are used for it and other words that are the opposite of it. The words that are used for it would be synonyms, right, from English class. A synonym for wisdom is this, discernment, insight, perception, and perceptivity. We like those, and those are good words, tangible words for wisdom. But I want you to listen to the alternative. These would be called antonyms. These are the opposite of wisdom to help us understand more what it is if we understand what it is not. It includes these words, density, dullness, brainlessness, folly, foolishness, idiocy, imbecility, mindlessness, silliness, simple-mindedness, and stupidity. Those are the words that are antonyms and opposites of the word wisdom. And then James shows up in James chapter 3, verse 13, and he says, hey, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, based on what it is and what it is not, if I said James is asking you a question, I'm looking for a show of hands. Who is wise and understanding among you? All of us would raise our hands because nobody in here wants to be an antonym. None of us want to be an antonym. And I contend that wisdom is is never more lacking than it is today. In fact, if you watch the news, if you look at, if you listen to talk radio, I would say to you, welcome to the United States of Antonym. That's who we are. Amen? We're foolish. Idiocy. Brainlessness. Stupid. That's what our country and our world has become. And at the same time, we think we're doing just fine because we have access to more knowledge than we ever have in the history of mankind. Anything you want to know, any place you're trying to go, anything you want to question that somebody else says, you can simply remove this from your uh, hip pocket or your purse, look it up, do some fact checking, and decide for yourself what the real truth is. Meanwhile... We don't know how to process and apply the knowledge that we have. Knowledge has just run off the tracks in our direction, prevalent in, at every turn. Wisdom is, in fact, lacking. And I believe that's what our world looks like. Now, here's the thing. When you accumulate a wealth of knowledge, but you don't have a balance of wisdom, we begin to, we forget how to process knowledge and truth and we make foolish decisions like this. And, and so um, what happens, it's a slippery slope when we step off into unwisdom, when we step off into processing things purely by knowledge, it's a downward spiral. Now, how do I know that's true? Because there is a place where God looks at our lack of desire for wisdom, where God looks at us processing purely based on knowledge, and he washes his sovereign hands of our decisions, and he gives us what we obviously are asking for. I know that's true from Scripture. You want me to show you? <laughs> I will anyway. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. I've got to read several verses, and you can read with me. I want you to get this. I want you to lean in. I want you to focus, and I want you to think about who this reminds us of, of as we read it today in 2022. This was written 2,000 years ago. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes and God's eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. Let me just let me let me sum that up. God reveals his greatness through the greatness of what he made. 
God reveals the magnitude of his being by what he has whispered into existence out of nothing. And, and God tells us through scripture, there's not a person who's ever walked on this planet who can stand before God and say, I really didn't know you existed. He reveals himself in his created order. Now, it says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and they did not give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings, birds, four-footed animals, or reptiles. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They turned their eyes from the glory and the greatness of Almighty, the true and loving, living God, and their focus came down and they thought about the things in this world, created in their minds idols of worship, things that were greater than the vastness of God, changed everything that was true and exchanged it for a lie. Verse 26, for this reason, because of this happens, he says, for this reason, God now gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And likewise, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed in their passions for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved or reprobate mind to do what should not be done. They are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice. They are rife with envy and murder and strife and deceit and hostility. They are gossips and slanderers and haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless. And although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, who does that remind you of in 2022? The United States of Antonym. That's what we look like. Why? Because we continue to shake our fist at the truth of God. We continue to rise up and, and pretend like we create a better mousetrap for living, a better ideology and philosophy for life. Meanwhile, God says, I have told you everything you need to know to know me, to understand yourself, to live a fruitful life and spend an eternity in heaven. And you continue to reject it. So here's what I will do. I'll wash my sovereign hands and I will let you have what it is you want. And you may be thinking, well, America's really not that bad. We're not that bad. We, we're not, we haven't lost our minds totally. Yes, we have. Let me give you 10 things that point to the lunacy and the foolishness and the stupidity and the antonym of reality of who we are. Number one, you don't have to look very far to hear some chatter to watch a conversation regarding abortion rights. Abortion rights, fighting for the rights of a woman who exercised her rights, obviously, when she conceived a baby, at least most of the time, less than 1% rape or incest. And now we want to brutally annihilate and eliminate a baby who apparently has no rights. And we have more knowledge regarding that than we ever have. You can see an ultrasound. You can see fingers and toes. You can see eyes and mouths and noses. You can see, well, the, the one who's performing the procedure can see liver and heart and all organs, lungs and all that. And they'll tell you, oh, look at his little kidneys. And I'm looking and say, oh, it's amazing. 
I ain't seeing a kidney. But they're seeing kidneys. Never before have we had this much knowledge. And yet we still refuse to, to apply wisdom to make the right decision regarding that. Secondly, you got the LGBTQ alphabet soup group. And they want to contend that they should be able to teach in our elementary school that children can decide for themselves what they want to identify as per gender. They want to say, listen, we have the knowledge to change hormonal structure of a human being. We have medical procedures that can change the physical dimensions of an individual. Denying the biological foundation that God placed in a human being as a male or a female, as a boy or a girl. Then we have number three, religious freedom activists who want to redefine the intentions and the meaning of the First Amendment. And they stand adamantly opposed to expressions like, in God we trust. Removing things like the Ten Commandments. Let me just tell you right now, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to have a relationship with Him through Jesus. You don't have to have any spiritual compass about you to know and agree with this. If everybody on the planet simply lived by these 10 rules, life would be a better place. Amen? And so here we are. We're denying this, removing it. And at the same time, removing prayer from the public environment. Prayer is someone's desire to look at the world's situation and reach out to a, to a higher being for help and assistance. That's not bad. Even if, even if you don't know the true and living God, even if somebody is praying to Buddha, praying to Muhammad, praying to whoever it is, their goal is to reach out to a higher existence for assistance. That's not bad, especially when you know the true and living God. Then you have number four, animal rights activism. Nobody in here wants to see a starving, mistreating pet or animal. We don't want that. But at the same time, animal rights activists are pushing for animals to have similar rights as human beings. I got news for you. We are not animals and animals are not human beings. And the rights required of a human being, expected of a human being, should not be the same as animals. You and I are image bearers of the true and living God. Animals are just a part of his creation. And we love animals. But in this country, this year, literally millions and millions of dollars will be given to protect and to look after and to provide for animals. Meanwhile, in this world this year, three million children five years old or younger will die of malnutrition-related diseases. And we're worried about that hungry little puppy on those advertisements on TV. Now listen to me. Maybe you give to that animal rights um, Agenda, fine, but you need to be given more to starving children around the world. Number five, vaccinations and, and the direct correlation to the access of public space and services continue to create confusion and division. Immigration and border control, economic policy like capitalism versus Marxism, global climate change and the effects of our automobile emissions on the temperature of the earth, evolution versus intelligent design and its place in the education system, redefining marriage and confusion of gender, transsexual athletics and anything else that pops up on their radar. And I'm telling you, that's a list of 10. It's not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. It scratches the surface of the lunacy of the world that we live in. And it's because we have more access to knowledge than ever before. And our wisdom is at an all-time low. And listen to me. You don't have to agree with it for it to be true. 
I don't have to agree with it for it to be true. It's emphatically true. It's true. And it gets worse every year. So in a nutshell, what we have is a critical theory. All of it falls under the heading of critical theory. Critical theory is where a critic rises up, raises their hand and said, I don't like the way everything is stated. I don't agree with everything as, as it is. And, 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 and albeit, it has its imperfections. But what we want to do is destruct it. We want to tear the whole thing down to the ground and rebuild it like we want to build it. And then next year, when somebody else doesn't like that agenda, let's tear it all down and reconstruct it again. So here's what we have. <clears throat> we have a God, an outside, powerful, eternal source whose name just happens to be Yahweh. And Yahweh has a plan. And he is eternally God. And he created heaven. And he created earth. And he created the atmosphere and the three different heavens. And he created the animal kingdom. And he created the ecosystem. And he created the animal kingdom. Excuse me, the plant life kingdom. And he created mankind. And in the, the, the dimensions, in the parameters of how he created mankind, he created them male and female. He created them male and female so that they could come together and be strong as one. He created them to procreate, to give birth to more life. He created marriage, the institution of marriage. He created family. He created government to support the family. He created the church. God constructed all of that. Meanwhile, there's a critical theory. I don't like that. I don't like being confined within the parameters of what you constructed, God. So I like this better. I'm going to tear that down and reconstruct it. And in my new reconstructed kingdom, it's going to look like this. There really is no male and female. There really is no, nothing that requires a man be a man and a woman be a woman. So let's just merge that into a melting pot. And you know what? There is nothing significant about mankind over the animal kingdom. So let's just rise them both up to be the same. And there really is nothing significant about life. So it's okay to terminate life as we choose. Currently, a baby in a womb. Maybe later, somebody who is, has, is struggling with Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, nursing home and, and so maybe we want to we don't like the ideas of a god of the way you put marriage together one woman and and one man so i think it's okay to have one man and one man maybe one woman and one woman ultimately maybe a hodgepodge maybe some men and some women ultimately maybe some men women we could throw some animals in there because we're all even now Let's just redo the whole thing. I don't like the government the way it is, and so let's just deconstruct the government. And, and the, church, the church has no value and no place. All of a sudden, we realize there's two opposing sides. And we, you and I, walk through the middle of it. And we have this vast knowledge without the ability to determine what is right because we're lacking in this thing called wisdom. Now, here's the thing. What I just said, deep within you, you may have put a shield up and said, I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe, I don't believe, I, I believe it's wrong to even bring the, the words critical theory into the church. Well, you're wrong. It's critical theory is not new. It's not new. We didn't come up with this idea. We didn't come up with the idea of being woke, okay? In fact, if you're a believer, you got woke when you got born again. And in today's culture, to be woke is the antithesis of being born again. You want to do right by your world, by your, the people you live with, and by God? It's not to be woke. It's to be born again, to be filled with the Spirit of God. There's no agenda that fixes that. There's only a Savior who fixes our condition, right? Now, still not convinced. So where did the first critical theory come from? Where did the first woke being come from? 
Where did the first critic come from? You ready? You ready? Revelation chapter 12. Then the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. So there was no longer any place left in heaven for him and his angels. Pause. The first critic was Lucifer, the anointed angel. The first critic was Lucifer in the splendor of heaven. And what he did, he looked at God's heavenly realm and he thought, I'm not satisfied with my place in God's agenda. So much so, I'm not going to stay here. In fact, I'm critical. I have a critical theory about the way God has done this thing. I have a new theory. The new theory says, I'm going to be large and in charge. And so a war broke out in heaven. The dragon is referred to. It's Lucifer who will become Satan and the devil. And he wages war in heaven. I like the part that says, but he was not strong enough. Let me tell you something about the devil and his critical theory. It will never be victorious ultimately. God will always rule and reign. And if you're a believer, you're born again, Jesus has saved you, you're on the winning side. Amen? Now listen what happens. <clears throat> it says, the dragon wasn't strong enough, verse 9, so that the huge dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to earth and his angels along with him. The scripture tells us that he swept a third of the stars. A third of the angels followed his new critical theory that thought he had a better mousetrap, a better philosophy for life, a better gig. And they followed him and they were swept out of heaven. Now, what did that coup look like? What did that critical theory look like in Isaiah chapter 13? This is talking about the battle, the war that we just read about. God says, your splendor, he's talking to Satan. He said, your splendor has been brought down to Sheol, as well as the sound of your stringed instruments. You lie on a bed of maggots with a blanket of worms over you. <laughs> That's disgusting, and I love it, because it's talking about the devil, the one that gives us so much grief, the one that has caused us to lose loved ones, the one that causes us to suffer and hurt. The one that wants to um, get us to sin every single day. The one that stands before God and accuses us every day. The one that gives us, that accuses us. His home ultimately will be in a bed of maggots with a blanket of worms. <laughs> I like it. Then he goes on and he says, Look how you have fallen from the sky, O shining one, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the ground, O conqueror of nations. Why? He tells us. Because you said to yourself, Satan, I will climb up to the sky. He's got a new philosophy. He's got a, a critical theory that says, here's the new agenda. He goes, I will climb up to the sky above the stars of El. I will set up my throne. I will rule on the mountain of assembly, on the remote slopes of Zaphon. I will climb up to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You get it? Unhappy with what God constructed, I want to tear it down and reconstruct it through my own lens of being. Verse 15, but you were brought down to Sheol to the remote slopes of the pit. And that is where the whole controversy begins. And we walk in it today. You see, Jesus interrupted it all, but it's not over yet. We've been redeemed on the inside, but our bodies walk around in an unredeemed world. But I've got good news. One day Jesus is coming back. Did you know Scripture five to eight times more in the New Testament talks about the second coming of Jesus more than it does his first coming? Jesus is coming back. And what's going to happen? And he's going to take away his church. Not the people in the church. Not the church building. The church are the people who are born again. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he's taking us out of here. 
He's what we call the catching away, the harpazo, the rapture. And we're going to heaven for seven years while hell breaks loose on this earth. And at the end of that seven years, Scripture says the door of heaven will be open again and Jesus will return to this earth. He won't stop like he did when he took the church home, coming to this earth with the saints and the angels to do battle. Now, it ain't going to be much of a battle because as I said before, God is large and in charge. And so it's going to be a fun battle. No defeat. No defeat for us, all defeat for him. And then God is going to reign. Jesus will be king of this earth for a thousand years. But I got news for you. That's not where we live. Now, one day it's coming, but that's not where we live yet. Because Satan is loose and his demons roam this earth, creating havoc for us. Why? Because when Satan realized there's no way, I, as a created being, can overtake the creator. I tried, and I was kicked out of heaven. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to hurt that which God loves. And the image bears onslaught of attack on humanity. The image bears of God. I want you to know, whether you're lost or saved, the devil hates you. Okay? Now, if you're saved, he doubles down on the hatred. Because now, not only are you the object of God's affection, not only are you a, a child of God adopted into the kingdom through Jesus, now he knows to really hurt God, he, he, if he can hurt you, it hurts God. And so that's his goal. Now, Jesus made this very clear. Jesus spelled out the whole thing in a simple verse. I didn't have to show you any of the other stuff. I could show you right here. But I wanted, you, I wanted to develop, in, develop it in your mind how big this thing is. In Genesis chapter 3, before we get to how Jesus summed it up, this is when it comes to earth, this is how it changes. It says, now the serpent, Satan, was shrewder than any of the wild animals that God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? And the woman said to the serpent, ladies, don't talk to snakes. I never have been able to understand. Why is she talking to a snake? I communicate with snakes with like a garden hoe, big rock, but not Eve. She's in the conversation. And so she says, uh, well, we may eat from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you'll die. And the serpent said to the woman, here it is, critical theory once again, surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Are you ready? Knowing good and evil. You see, the enemy utilizes knowledge. God wants to utilize wisdom. The enemy knows if we can process things purely based on knowledge, we lose. And he says, now their eyes were opened and they know, have knowledge, right? And then verse six says, so when the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, it was attractive to the eye and ready and desirable for making one wise. She took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. What an idiot. He missed the, but he's, a, he's an anonym. Adam is an anonym. That's his last name, Adam Anonym, a fool. His wife, the one he loved, his soulmate, his life partner, the one introduced as beautiful before God created just for him. He's watching her talk to a snake, and there's no record that he intervened. And so he's standing there with her, and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they gained wisdom. Is that what it says? Uh-uh. The wisdom was not what they thought, because it was based on knowledge only. It says, and they knew they were naked, for they sewed fig leaves together, 
and made coverings for themselves. There's religion. Religion shows up when they knew that they were naked and ashamed and they were broken before God. They started trying to do something to, to make themselves right with God. That's religion. Religion is when we can do enough stuff to make God be pleased with us. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So now watch this. Jesus summed it up. He's going to tell us the modus operandi, the vision statement of the critical theory. He's going to tell us what they, their goal is. You ready? John 10, 10. Jesus simply says, the thief, that's Satan, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. No matter what they say, no matter what they look like, no matter what package he wraps himself in, his agenda, his vision statement is to steal and to kill and to destroy the object of God's affection and that is you and that is me. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. I want you to understand something. God is madly in love with you. He created you in his image to be an image bearer. And when you broke that through the sin curse, he did all the work to bring you back. He loved you so much that he wrapped himself in Jesus, came to this earth to die on a cross and rise from the dead just because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, they shall not perish, but they shall have forever life. He loves you, and that's good news. And so what does he say? He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I just want you to know. And then he goes on, he says, but I came to give it back. I came so you can have life and have it abundantly. Everything the devil stole, I'm bringing it back. Everything the devil tries to kill, I'm going to invest life in it. Everything that the devil tries to destroy, I'm jumping in with both feet of abundance to give you things that you didn't even know existed because you came into this world a fallen creature. Jesus sums it all up. That's it. There's a battle, folks, between knowledge and wisdom. And don't get me wrong. I love my phone. I love looking stuff up. I love how quickly I can learn something I didn't know. I love how quickly that I can check, fact check myself to see if I'm even on the right page. But I'm telling you, we can have all the knowledge that the world wants to offer. And if we don't have wisdom, we lose. And the enemy wins. Based on that, James shows up in James chapter 3. Verse 13, and he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? It's beautiful. Another test sent to us from James. Who is wise and understanding among you? And next week, we're going to see as James unpacks the reality that there's more than one wisdom. Most of us would say, I have wisdom. Most of us would say, I make wise choices and decisions. What if each one of us went to a third party, mediator, not ourselves. We didn't ask ourselves. I didn't say, Pastor Joel, looking in the mirror, Pastor Joel, are you wise? Well, considering the antonyms, very wise. Because I don't want to be that, right? I'm not talking about asking ourselves. I'm talking about a third parent, a third party. And some of the students said, great, my mom. Husband said, great, my wife. Mother said, great, my children. I'm not talking about that third party. I'm talking about a third party that is 100% objective. 
the greatest third party that's ever existed is the third part of the Trinity. Not third part in rank, third part, they're all equal. Third part as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What if we went to the greatest third party who's ever existed, the third part of the Trinity, and we said, here I go, you ready? All right, Father, I'm praying. I heard this message about wisdom. I like to think I got it. I like to think that most of the time I operate in it. But God, I'm asking you, if you will have your Holy Spirit reveal to me those areas where I'm not practicing, where I'm not operating in the realm of wisdom. And God, I'll make an agreement, a covenant with you. If you'll help me know it, I'll change it. I'll conform it. I'll yield it. I'll ask for the wisdom. And here's what he'll do. Every single person in here, there's nobody in here wise like Solomon. Nobody in here has all the wisdom. You just don't. Sometimes we think we do. We don't. Okay? We're going to see next week where we can get wisdom, how wisdom changes our lives, and we're going to be cautioned about fake wisdom. Okay? But today we have the opportunity to simply ask a third party, the Holy Spirit, to reveal areas where we don't act wise. And then we get to ask for wisdom. James already said in James chapter 1 verse 5, he says, does any of you lack wisdom? See, he introduces things and then he develops them. He says, does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives abundantly without judgment. That's who he is. He'll give it to you. Wouldn't it be cool not to be stupid anymore? It'd just be plain. Wouldn't it be cool not to play stupid anymore? Okay, here's confession. We're in church. Not Catholic church, but still a good place to confess. I'm not the priest. I'm the pastor. But I'm going to ask you a question. Has anybody in here ever played stupid? Raise your hand. Half of you. Put your hands down. The other half just played stupid. What would life be like if we practiced wisdom in the midst of the abundance of knowledge that we have access to? Students, I'm going to tell you something. You all rock. Let me tell you why. Because you live in the hardest world in America we've ever seen. I was talking with some, I, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Y'all didn't even know that was a real time. It was, I, I can witness to it, okay? Linda, you know it was a good season, wasn't it? It was a good time to raise. Dan, you old guy like myself, it was a good season, wasn't it, brother? It was good. Don't get me wrong, God's still large and in charge. And he, he has a beautiful plan for you in a beautiful world. But you live in a hard place. I get that, Okay? One reason it's so hard is because the generation and the generations before you, we didn't take care of it. We abounded in knowledge and we choked on wisdom. And I think of my grandchildren. I love them so stinking much. And they, I'm praying Jesus comes back, I'm just going to tell you. Okay, I know y'all got big hopes and big dreams. Heaven's better. I had this revelation. I got to share it. I had this revelation. How good is heaven compared to earth? Never seen this before. Bam. When Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, and he hasn't been, he's been sentenced, but he hasn't been imprisoned yet within the impenetrable walls of hell. He's in a transitional place, and it's earth. And it dawned on me. For somebody who's been to heaven, as good as this earth seems, it's hell compared to heaven. This is judgment for the devil. Earth is just, because he knows how good it was in heaven. And so I'm praying that Jesus comes back for my grandkids. But I'm going to. And it'll be better. So I'm proud of y'all. I really am. 
proud of what Clark invests in you all, Kelsey. You all are the future of our life, of our existence. And that's big. So here's what I want to do. I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And simply ask the third part of the Trinity. Just ask for a third party evaluation of wisdom. And I'm going to be quiet and let the still small voice of the Spirit tell you. And now, Father, I come to you and I thank you, God, for loving us in covenant, unconditionally, just because you do, just because you are love and you choose to love us. God, we thank you that you desire a relationship with us and you do that through your son and his sacrifice and his resurrection. And God, on this day, most of us would state that we are believers, that we've received your grace gift. But God, it is my prayer that if there's someone here today that came with a misunderstanding that what, you're, what you desire is religion, that on this day, your Holy Spirit would first reveal to them that you want to have a relationship with them forever. And that they would be willing to hear your Holy Spirit's invitation into your forever family. God, I pray that they would exercise wisdom. Their first act of wisdom is to respond to the invitation of your Holy Spirit. Not based on some knowledge or idea about what religion is and all that. But a wisdom to receive your simple invitation through grace. And that they would yield themselves to you and receive your gift. And that they would begin the journey of following Jesus through all of eternity. God, maybe today most of us have already made that wise decision. The greatest decision we'll ever make in our lives. But God, we realize that there have been many times that we operated based on knowledge and not wisdom. God, I pray that you've revealed to us areas where we lack wisdom. And God, we come before you now and we ask for wisdom. James told us that if we ask, you'll give it generously and without rebuke or judgment. So thank you, God, for hearing our prayer. Help us leave this place today wiser, walking in wisdom. Decisions that we make in this very day in the coming week will surprise ourselves and those around us. God, as we close our service today, as we worship on a final song, help us be willing to make our commitments sure by being willing to possibly come forward and pray at this altar so that we send a signal to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, to you and to the enemy himself that we're no longer operating based on knowledge alone, but we're in pursuit of your kind of wisdom. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.